We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary expands the definition of anti-vaxxer to include everyone who questions government-forced vaccinations. I guess we're all anti-vaxxers now. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. The story today is Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. The corporation, the elites again, much like Major League Baseball, the oligarchs at Major League Baseball telling the state of Georgia how to conduct an election and how to count a vote, or Delta Airlines telling us that we have to wear a mask unless we're taking a drink of water because everybody knows that you don't transmit a disease if you're taking a drink of water. Oh, and also you have to stand six feet apart until you get on our plane, and then you can sit six inches apart because everybody knows when you're actually on our plane that social distancing no longer matters. We have this kind of nonsense going on in the corporate world, and apparently they think we are not noticing. Well, hopefully, hopefully there is a rising number of us who not only notice but are willing to step forward on the side of the parade and say these ideas are naked as a jaybird, Your emperor has no clothes. Today's example, today's Exhibit A is Merriam-Webster, another corporation, a corporation, a company that should be interested in protecting the definition of words is now proving through its oligarchical arrogance that it is more interested in manipulating them for political gain than they are in helping us maintain the definition so that we can communicate clearly and understandably with one another. I'm taking this story from RT News. Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary expands the definition of anti-vaxxer to include all of those who oppose forced government, government government-forced vaccinations. Here's the basics out of the article. Merriam-Webster's dictionary is again redefining language to fit a narrative, this time framing its definition of anti-vaxxer to include not only people who oppose vaccination, but also those who are against inoculation mandates. Now, you might ask, what's the difference? Well, there's a huge difference. You can be against inoculation mandates, but not yet be against all vaccinations. In other words, you could be a person like myself or a host of others who is really disturbed by the government's overreach telling us that you have to get the COVID-19 vaccination, using it to control us, using it to scare us, using it as a means of identification to allow us to engage in daily life, get on an airplane, go to a grocery store, go to a concert, do anything. This government mandate 
of inoculations. You can be against that, but yet not be a traditional anti-vaxxer because you might think that the polio vaccination or the annual flu vaccination was something that was of value to you. Do you see the difference here? They've now politicized the definition of what it means to be an anti-vaxxer. And that's a problem. That's a problem because Miriam Webster apparently thinks they're God and that they can decide what words mean and don't mean. Here's what Matt Walsh said about this situation. He said, today I begin my new life as an anti-vaxxer. So he's basically making the same point. He's saying, yesterday I wasn't an anti-vaxxer, but now I am an anti-vaxxer because Merriam-Webster just included all of those who had concerns about government arrogance, government intruding into the field of medicine, politicizing the medical discussion. We have concerns about that. We think it's wrong. We think it's an overreach. We think it is compromising our freedoms. We think it smacks of 1984. That's what Matt Walsh is saying. There are a host of other people that have similar concerns. But the bottom line is this. This isn't the first time that Merriam-Webster has done this. They expanded their definition of racism recently to include systematic oppression. Okay, so now they're following the political parade. The critical race theory parade, intersectionality, white privilege. Now Merriam-Webster has actually redefined the word racism to include systematic oppression. This revision reportedly came because of a response to Black Lives Matter and the activists who were demanding that they change the definition because they were losing arguments with people who said they weren't racists. In other words, if you said you weren't racist because you just aren't, you're not a racist, you don't care, you judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. The former definition of racism allowed you to make that claim without being corrected, without somebody saying, well, that's not what the dictionary says. So Merriam-Webster changed it so that now you're guilty. You weren't an anti-vaxxer yesterday, but you are today because they changed the definition of the word. You weren't a racist five seconds ago, but you're one now because the definition has changed. They did the same thing with the word preference. If you remember the debate over Amy Conant Barrett's confirmation to the Supreme Court, Maisie Hirono, the Democrat from Hawaii, accused Ms. Barrett of being homophobic, of offending LGBTQ people, XYZ people, because she dared to use the word preference in reference to these particular individuals. She said sexual preference. She should have said sexual orientation, said Maisie Hirono. Well, just yesterday, the LGBT rainbow cabal preferred the language sexual preference. But then they realized that their use of language was painting them into a corner, an ontological and logical corner, because it actually confirmed the obvious. This is a preference. You're not programmed to behave a given way sexually. You can choose your sexual behavior. It's a preference. It's a preference. We're human beings. We're not automatons. We're not robots. We're not animals. It's a preference. 
meaning you can choose to imbibe the preference or you can choose not to. Human beings can engage in making decisions about their preferences. Well, the Rainbow Cabal recognized that this word was catching them, was exposing their lie. So now they demand that we use the language sexual orientation. And because Amy Coney Barrett used their old word, she is now homophobic. So William Webb, excuse me, Miriam Webster changed the definition. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this disregard for definition, this disregard for the meaning of words. And I'm going to make the argument that neither you or I are Webster. And frankly, Merriam Webster isn't Webster any longer, ironically enough. I'm Dr. Robert Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break and acknowledge our sponsors. Now, I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Words so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to manipulate them. Nathaniel Hawthorne. Did you hear that? That's a quote from Nathaniel Hawthorne. I actually paraphrased it a bit. I replaced his word, combine, with manipulate. So listen to this again. Words so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to combine them, i.e. manipulate them. Nathaniel Hawthorne. Now this is one of my one-string banjos. I cover this issue in my book, Not a Daycare, and I double down on it in Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. In fact, in the second book, Grow Up, there's a chapter titled, You're Not Webster. And I start out with this quote from Nathaniel Hawthorne, and then I launch into speaking about creatio ex nihilo. It's a Latin phrase. I'm going to repeat that to you. Creatio ex nihilo. Now, what does it mean? Well, it's a theological term to describe a central point, a central point about our discussion of God, creation out of nothing, creatio ex nihilo. In the beginning, God created, God created the universe, and he did so out of what? Nothing. He had no raw materials. He had nothing to play with. There was nothing there. Creatio ex nihilo. He and he alone set the field. He is responsible for creation. Well, what does that have to do with today's discussion? Well, here's the answer. Creatio ex nihilo is God's and God's alone. He and he alone is responsible for creation, for definition. He's the one who defines things. He's the one who makes things. He's the one who creates things. Everything from trees to animals to the universe to words. Words have definition. They matter. You do not have the power, nor do I. You're not God nor am I. We do not assume the authority to create meaning out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo, creation from nothing, is God's and God's alone. The world isn't clay in your hands, nor is it to be manipulated by Merriam-Webster. 
The dictionary is not a blank canvas. The world isn't a blank canvas. You can't make it whatever you want it to be. Now, I'm not arguing that you don't have freedom. Obviously, I believe in creative freedom, personal responsibility. Like I said earlier, you're not a robot, nor am I. We're not automatons. We have freedom of choice. But we do so within the boundaries of definition. Again, fences and freedom, no liberty without law. Okay, this is a fact in the way we communicate. There are rules to the game, and you can't live outside the bounds of the boundaries. When you try to, it's called a foul. There has to be a referee on the sidelines to blow the whistle. The field of play is already set. Now, there is an awful lot in our lives that just is. And you and I have no business or power to change or redefine it. Facts are facts, and that's just the end of it. I don't care what Bill Clinton says about the definition of is. No, the definition of is is not subject to Bill Clinton's political agenda or sexual fancy. There are some things that just are what they are. Truth is true, and falsehood is false, and that's just the end of it. That is just the end of it. Do you get my point? The definition is set, and Bill Clinton can't manipulate it or change it or make some new definition of the definition of that word just because he's literally been caught with his pants down. Words so innocent and powerless as they are as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to manipulate them, change their definition. That's the subject of today's show. That's what I'm talking about right now. The mindset of relativism is behind all of this. Relativism sees the world with you and me as the center. We're the center of the universe. We're the grand interpreters. We're the final authority. We're the definers of everything. We define all. We establish our own truths. We create our own values. We author our own rules. We decide what's good and evil, bitter and sweet, true and false, male and female, because after all, it doesn't matter what you believe, right? As long as it works for you. This is a worldview that I've described before on this show, several episodes back, as whateverism. Because any time any value or idea is up for debate, we just simply shrug and say whatever, and we move on. This is a philosophy, a philosophy that essentially argues that nothing matters other than the individual and his or her personal gratification. Live and let live. After all, who are you to judge? Remember the story I told you about when I was involved in um, extreme home makeover? Uh, it was here just north of Bartlesville, outside a little town called Dewey, where there was a pastor who died early in life and left a family of 10 kids behind and his widow, and they had no money. So extreme home makeover over swoops in, sends the widow and the children off to Disneyland for a week, and they build a beautiful new home. For this family. Now, my university got involved because we gave scholarships to all the kids. And therefore, we were out on site watching this whole thing take place. And all the Hollywood celebrities swoop in to do their thing. 
And it's so much fun watching what's taking place. Well, it was interesting. One of the girls in the family had a dream to be a pilot. So the theme for the interior design of her bedroom, of this particular girl's bedroom in this new home, in the Extreme Makeover Home Edition, was to actually put an airplane fuselage in the bedroom. And the Hollywood celebrity, the designer that was responsible for this, was a brunette woman. I can't remember her name. But she wanted to uh, get a view of Oklahoma and get inspired as to what she was going to do with this particular uh, bedroom, this airplane theme. So they took her up in a small aircraft and flew over the home site. And this was part of the the whole shtick, if you will, the whole uh, emotional appeal of the show. Well, it's interesting. While she was up in this airplane, they had to discuss the values, the beliefs of the family. And the thing is, this is a pastor's family. All of these kids are Christians, and the wife is unapologetically Christian. They can't avoid it. They can't get away from it. So they have to acknowledge it, and they seriously don't want to, or clearly don't want to make fun of the family. So this interior designer, as she's up in the airplane, talking about how she's going to design this room to honor the girl's dream of being a pilot. She also acknowledges the mother's Christianity and the family's Christianity, and she says, you know, it's wonderful. I'm glad they believe this stuff. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. That is her direct quote. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. Now, the irony of this story is this. She's in an airplane. She's in an airplane. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. Really? Really? Well, if you jump out of that airplane believing that gravity isn't real, does it work for you? How's that going to end up? How's that one working for you? It doesn't matter what you believe. You believe gravity is a joke. It's not real. It's just all in your head. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. Go ahead. Jump out of the airplane, interior designer. Oh, how about designing that airplane? How about if you're among these new woke people that think 2 plus 2 equals 4 is nothing but the product of white privilege? It's trope, to quote the Brooklyn College professor. Well, designing that airplane outside the boundaries and the rules of mathematics wouldn't end up very well. I'd suggest the thing probably is going to come tumbling down out of the air. But it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you, right? Do you see my point? When you start manipulating everything as if you're the judge of all, when you can define everything, when the employees and the CEO or whoever it is, the oligarchs at Merriam-Webster start telling us that they will decide what words mean because of their political agenda, we have to be willing to say, this is all a charade. This is nothing but a charade. It's a fairy tale of dancing unicorns and leprechauns. This is not reality. This is make-believe. It's pretend. It It doesn't acknowledge the empirical facts of the world in which we live. You can't just start manipulating words. Yes, you have great power in doing so for good, but you also have great power to accomplish evil. Because when you start manipulating the definition of life, the definition of the way we communicate. Facts don't matter any longer. Biology and physics don't matter any longer. You begin to ignore 
common sense and natural law. But there are consequences for doing so. Let me give you this example. We've talked about it before. Here's an obvious consequence. There are some things that are just true. They're objectively true, and we know them to be so. Even though you can't put them in a test tube, you know that they're true. For example, I've said before, it's an objective fact that rape is wrong. Now, you can't put that in a test tube and come out of your laboratory and say, Waha, I've proven that rape is wrong. No, you know it in your heart. The truth is of God is written on every human heart. You know that rape is wrong. You know the Holocaust was evil. You know that slavery is a really bad idea. You can't prove it in a laboratory. But I would hope that all of us can admit that there's a truth. It's true to say that these things are all objectively bad. This is the, this is the point I'm making. Definitions are set. If the political agenda changes and all of a sudden somebody with political power starts manipulating us through the use of words to change the definition of slavery, hopefully we have enough common sense and intestinal fortitude and intellectual capacity and spiritual maturity to step forward and say, no, no, you can't change the definition of slavery. Slavery is a bad thing. You can't change the definition of the Holocaust. The Holocaust was evil. You can't start pretending that abusing minors for your sexual gratification is okay because rape, rape is sinful. It's wrong. You can't, you can't start creating words out of nothing. You can't pretend to have creatio ex nihilo as a capacity unto yourself. Some things simply are what they are. The yard lines are down, the boundaries are set, the rule book is written, and you can't manipulate it to be whatever you'd like it to be. We live in a real world with established facts, and denying those facts doesn't change them. Jumping out of airplanes while shouting, I can fly, doesn't change the law of gravity. Pretending the world is flat doesn't change the fact that you can still sail around it. Suggesting that the evil of rape is a social construct rather than an absolute evil probably won't win you very many points at the Social Justice Warrior Convention. At least not today. But the same people at this SJW convention now are celebrating the manipulation of words via the examples I just shared with you. We have to remember this. There are absolutes in life. There are objective truths, and that's the truth. The field is set. The field is set, and all of us have to realize that the only way to participate in the game, to play the game, is to do so within the established boundaries. You can't play soccer with three bases, a home plate, and a triangular field. Baseball's baseball, and soccer is soccer. Both sports have definition, and Merriam-Webster can't change that definition just because they're anti-baseball folk. They can't do that. Both sports have definition and purpose. Both sports mean something. All of us must play the game we're in. Pretending basketball is hockey doesn't make it so. Do you get my point? One of the primary realities being attacked by this 
stuff at Merriam-Webster and the other examples I've given you is to ignore the definition and the meaning of words. We're treating discourse and the use of words as if they mean nothing and that they're flexible and multiple as clay. But we know intuitively that the rules of language have been set and indeed must be set if we're going to communicate sanely. A pony can't be a fish and a fish can't be a chicken. Words have to mean something. They have to have objective and predictable and enduring definitions. If, if they don't, you couldn't listen to a thing I've said and have any hope of understanding me. And you would have no ability to dispute me and argue with me. That's the interesting thing. If you're progressive left and listening to me right now and you want to disagree with everything I've said, you have no basis for doing so unless you basically admit my point. And that is, there has to be a definition to words because your disagreement would be based on your presupposition that my use of the words that I've employed in the last 20 minutes of this show are inaccurate. They're poorly defined. They're misleading. I've manipulated them wrongly. It's called an incoherent expression. Okay? That's the nature of debate. Debate itself presupposes definition. The very nature of speaking and reading and writing is obviously something that assumes definition and clarity. Normal daily communication would become impossible as trying to play football without a field or a ball. And when it comes to the dictionary, facts matter. Your feelings don't. You might feel like red is a number, but it's not. You might feel like 2 plus 2 equals green, but it doesn't. You might feel like dogs are quarter horses or that your Labrador retriever can lay eggs, but she won't. In all of these examples that I'm sharing with you, none of your feelings change the facts of what truly is. Definition matters. Your delusions don't. One more time. Definition matters. Your delusions don't. It's like we're living in the matrix right now. It's really where we are right now. I'm going to conclude with this. This is a quote out of Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. All these lies have led our culture to depart from the values required for a virtuous society. It all starts with little things like the definitions of everyday words. Departure from the established boundaries of the playing field means a departure from the idea of absolute truth. And departure from ascribing true meaning to words has blinded us from any hope of seeing reality for what it truly is. It has placed us in a matrix ruled and dominated by whatever leftist brats happen to demand that day. And that doesn't bode well for our freedom. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left, and you have no truth without objective definition of words. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.